0: I remember coming home and Cindy was recently pregnant with Riley, our oldest at the time. And I remember she would be, it was, it was kind of like I kept saying, why do you keep doing this to yourself? But she would watch the TV and see all of the stories and hear all of the things that were taking place. And for days and weeks, we found ourselves ending our days with tears. Just unable to fathom What would cause somebody to cause such destruction? What would cause such a hatred that would lash out to take lives like that? And yet, I also don't want to narrow it down to that that was just our story. We do have to realize that, that yes, America has seemed to have a lot of grace held over it, and our nation has had a season where God's hand has protected, and it has been amazing. But for some people, the tragedy that we experienced 15 years ago on one day, for some people, that is a regular occurrence in countries across our world. As we back up from the picture, now our nation has, seems a little bit divided on their perspectives. First thing I like to do is just do a little research before I preach. That's always a good thing to do. <laughs> but I was asking different people, you know, their reactions, their perspectives. And for some people, The distance of 15 years has seemed to make a tragedy into something more of a story and a legend and a lore. The fact that now there's a beautiful waterscape that's been put in the place of one of those towers and there's a new World Trade Center building seems to have covered it over as if now it's okay. There's some that claim that, uh, along with Elvis and JFK and everybody else, that that was just a hoax by our nation to gain more control. And whatever place you come from, all I know is something horrific took place. Whatever perspective you have of who did it or why they did it, all I know is that the enemy of our souls, the, Satan himself, for whatever reason, was allowed to perpetrate on people an act that would shake our faith, that would shake our understanding of what is good and right and proper and OK. And what I do know is, much like it' said in the video, people responded differently. Than I think the enemy would imagine they would have. The weeks following, especially the week after and and the subsequent two weeks to follow the World Trade Center incident of 9 11 2001, churches were filled to capacity. People ran to the Creator. There was no question whether it was okay to pray on air. There was no question whether it was okay to have a pastor stand in front of a grouping of people even if there was church and state issues at hand. There was no question because in the midst of one of the most heinous tragedies that had taken place, people somehow inherently knew that where God is, there is safety. Where the presence of God is, there is wholeness and protection and covering. There's something in our souls that even for those who are far away from God and receiving the gifts of His grace, there's something inside of us that groans to come home. And so when tragedy struck our nation, churches were filled to capacity. As I was planning what I would be talking about in the weeks to come several months ago, I saw this date on the calendar, and I thought, oh God, what do you do with this? How do we respond to this? You know, to not say anything would be a neglect, and to overplay this would be a little bit much. How do we find that fine line of recognizing what has happened and that our our vision has shifted. And I felt like God just said, Jeff, I want to remind you of a few things. So tonight, really the, the big picture of what we're looking at is we've been talking about how do we separate and how do we find our way to the truth through a world that's really mixing and muddying the waters all around us so much. In the very first week of this series called Roar, I started by explaining that the Gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ, the message of a Creator God who sent His Son to reconcile people back to Him. That's the truth. And everything in our world is trying to detract from that. And so we hear messages of self-help and self-preservation and self-assurance every place we go. And all around us, the world is trying to tell us, you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're smart enough, you're pretty enough. Like, that's great. Those are all good messages. But what I'm telling you is that the roar of the crowds around us sometimes covers up the basic truth that holds us all together. The place where we can run when everything around us crashes. The place, the the truth that gives us comfort in the midst of every storm. the gospel message is our only hope. And somehow for a brief space of time in the midst of tragedy, our nation collected under that covering. For us, I started thinking about how that plays out. What does that look like in a in a grouping of people who are trying to hold up the truth and hold up the message? How do we get above the roar of the crowd? I started thinking through 15 years ago and the the discomfort that not only came from seeing and hearing these stories and noting that there was tragedy, but also there was something that had taken place that rocked our sensibilities and our comfort. It's not so much that I knew somebody who was there, but that something like that could happen in my country could happen in my neighborhood. I don't know if you guys remember but then people started freaking out going no they're coming after the Central Valley next. Why? Because we make all their food. People were trying to figure out what would I do? What would how would we protect? Where would we go? And there's a couple guys in our community that especially in this church actually that if stuff went down, I'm going to their house cuz they'll protect me. I know that. But we all had these kind of these things going on in our heads. And I remember one day, very specifically, just being in prayer, and, and for some of you think, like, my job is just sitting around praying, you know, like some kind of a monk in the movies or something. I got the hair for it, but nothing else, all right? But I remember praying one day and just asking God, what, what does all this mean? And I need you to understand, like, I'm trying to give you a good picture. I'm not, like, super holy guy. I'm your pastor, and I want you to think, like, I'm up there, but I'm not, like, way up there. So my prayer was more like this. What in the world am I supposed to do, God? It wasn't a, oh, holy God, thou hast brought me to this place in this hour, and I ask for thine presence in my bodice. No, there was nothing about that. It was literally a screaming out to God in a place of total desperation. What do you tell people when all of their comfort is rocked? And God took me back to the Scriptures where people like Paul time and time and time again had their lives threatened and were put on blast by a community and said, now tell us why you're doing what you're doing. And they stood up and they proclaimed the message of the Gospel. And I said, but God, you've got to understand these are people, that, they need to know like They're they're looking for something else And he said, but there is nothing else, Jeff There's only the message of freedom in the gospel Because when that is in line Everything else makes sense And nothing else matters See, I fall into the same trap It can't be that easy It can't just be about Jesus It's got to be something more. I have to be more involved. I have to be more active. There's got to be something bigger. And God's reminding us, no. I go back to this text every time. He says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and stop your trying and stop your crying and stop your striving and stop your stressing and stop your throwing things and fists into the wind, trying to make it happen. You can't do it. Just stop and let me be God. Because it's one thing to proclaim that he is God with our mouths and to pray over little Delaney, right? That's good for her. Oh, sweet little baby that wears bracelets. She's awesome, right? That's great for her, but, but when it's me, that's a whole nother story. When it's my life, now, that, these are real problems. This isn't baby stuff we're talking about. This is real stuff. Well, guess what? The long play of Delaney's life is one day she's going to hit stuff. And we're going to have to remind her, be still and know that He is your God. A nation rallied around, and here we came with raw nerve endings, with open wounds and open hearts. I don't know like if you guys even can recollect some of those moments. Some of you are like, whoa, like having major flashbacks right now, right? But I remember groupings of people that as they would come together, I mean, I was at at Visalia First Assembly at the time, the big church on the corner building the big thing now, right? I was over there and we were having these massive services where we couldn't contain the numbers of people who would show up. And on seeing each other across the parking lot, people would literally come and embrace one another and hold one another and weep in each other's arms. Not because they were family, but because there was something raw about what was taking place. Here's the hard part. We get distanced from that. We kind of back away from that. And we go back to what we once were. There was something about that time period, there was something about 15 years ago on this day that opened up a community of people to saying, it's okay to be real with one another and not worry what anybody thinks about you. But as we back away from the incident, it's so hard not to put back on our veneers and our coverings. And I hope they don't know that about me. It's hard not to find that place where instead of an embrace, even among grown men with masculinity just dripping off of them, I don't know what that looks like, but picture it in your head, holding one another, saying, I've got you, reduced down to a little head nod on the way in to some place we'll both happen to be. And there's something that God wants to draw us to as a community. And that's living a real life and a real existence, an open existence to the power and the presence of God. And the thought I want to give you tonight is this. The only thing that is going to make an impact in this world that's going to change anything in this community is the gospel message of a saving Savior God who sent His Son to die and rescue you and me. When we get that and we finally start listening to what we believe, then we will be still and know that He is God. And we will begin to live into the message that He's put in front of us. And then a community will see that we actually are what we say we are. And they will crave what God is doing in us. But we got to be real. we got to be real. And I need you to understand one of the hardest things, not just in our community, but in, in the United States in general, is to be real. Because fake is celebrated so much. And even our real is fake. I remember watching and, and reading some articles uh, a number of years ago. And I like to follow pop culture and all that stuff. I can sing the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, all that kind of stuff, right? But but remember like let's go back uh fifteen, twenty years ago. Television. We had like shows, right? Like like the Cosby days, right? That's like 25 years ago before all the other stuff happened, right? But there was like, you would watch and it would dial up and, and tune in and give a problem and a resolve and everybody would high-five and hug at the end of the day and we'd all feel good about it. And then uh, there was a big actor strike that happened. And so the big uh, studios figured out a way around it. They would just create re- reality shows. So they stuck a, a bunch of like crazy people that said they wanted to try something new on an island, one of who decided to be naked all the time, right? And they put them on this island and they said, survive-er, right? <laughs> they didn't even know, you didn't know it was a southern show, right? Survivor. Right. So, um, but they said, get out there and here's what we want you to do. And, and so it was largely unscripted. There was a lot of time and energy that went into it, but we weren't, you know, playing for, uh, you know, weekly hit your button, you know, all the things go on. It was like a drawn out deal and, and studios started picking this up. And then all of a sudden you've got all these other things. And I remember reading the article that said, in the coming future of television, it's going to be largely dominated by reality TV shows. It's crazy. In my head, I'm thinking no way this is ever gonna work. This one show worked, but not another another one's gonna happen. Then you have Big Brother, and then you got, you know, dancing with the stars. I mean, there's all these things, right? But but as we go, the other thing that we find out is reality isn't enough either. So we start having shows that are reality shows that now are just a little bit scripted. So then there was a big phase where it was uh, the OC. I don't know if you guys remember that. And if you were, yeah, okay, some of you are like, ooh, yeah, I'm embarrassed right now. But they, oh, that was big, big, big. And they followed these spoiled little rich kids around, and they did life together, and like, oh, my gosh, look at your nails. They're just like mine. I got to go cut my hands off now, or whatever they did. You know, it was bad. But, but they, oh, man, the rage. And all I had to do when I was a youth pastor at that time was to play the intro to that television show, just the first few notes, and people would be like, oh, my gosh, you listen to, oh, oh you know, ah, right? when. And here's what happened, though. It wasn't cool enough just to watch them live their lives. Now we got to script it out a little bit. And all of a sudden, something that was raw and real became fake again. Because our natural tendency is to go to the place where we push back and we want to be there, but not really. And we want to be known, but not really. And we want to be touched, but not really. I'm not going to let you see the 15 selfies that I took before the one I posted came up, Right? So I had like 17 necks in that last one. That's not okay, right? I'm not going to let you see my living room. That's a total wreck, but I will let you see my bathroom that I cleaned for the first time in four years, right? I'm not going to let you see, right? I don't even have to go on with that. But what we do is we live in this society now that loves reality, but only if it's pretty good in plastic. So the story goes on, in Acts, where Paul and his boy Barnabas, they're cruising around. He's got another boy, Silas, and they're cruising around, and they're proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And as they go, they, there's things that happen within their ministry, but there's one story that starts in about chapter 15 of Acts. And as they're sitting there and and proclaiming the message or standing there, whatever, they get arrested and Paul and Silas get thrown in jail. They're getting beat and they get locked down in the dungeon. Big story. It's great. It's not the point of the message, so I'll give you the uh, spoiler. All right? So they start worshiping in the middle of the night. I don't know if they were singing Oceans or whatever because that's apparently the most powerful song in the history of the world, right? But they're singing a worship song just praising God and there's an earthquake and their stuff falls off and all the the doors open in the prison and they come rolling out. The guards come and they're like, we don't know what's going on, but please don't kill us, right? And they have this miraculous event that releases them from prison. Paul. Paul silas then they go and they proclaim the good name of jesus christ in thessalonica and they keep cruising along and they come across a group of people who really like to study they're called the bereans and they tell them the message and they said well we'll study this out and we'll see we want to make sure that we're right on track with you and they they felt good about that then they found their way again in their process and there came a point Where Paul had to stand up and he had to proclaim what what they were doing. And and over and over, they were given a chance to do this. But there was one particular time in chapter 17, verse 22 of Acts. And I'm just going to read through this and I'm going to help frame this into what I'm talking about and give you guys the big picture. You're like, finally get to the scripture. All right, thanks, Jeff. So it says this So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed you were very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, To an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He he is the God that made the world and everything in it. Since He is Lord of heaven and earth, He doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve His needs, for He has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every need. From one man he created all nations throughout the whole world, and he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries, and his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him though he is not far from any of us. Good theology. For in him we live and move and exist. In another translation would say, For him we live and move and have our very being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen or gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent from their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the men he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. And among them were Dionysus, member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Typically in this story, they wouldn't include that last little part because nobody wants to believe that if I stood up and proclaimed the gospel message that people would actually mock me. But if you live in the world today, you know that that actually happens. And I want you to know it's no different for us than it was for Paul back in the day. It wasn't like Paul walked in the room and people were like, hallelujah! like that's not the way it was in the very same room he would have a group of people that openly mocked him and and literally threw stones at him at times and people who would respond and say we believe right here right now so how does this fit us jeff where does this go how does this fit into anything you're talking about well let me just put it this way one of the things paul was really good at was getting on people's level. And by making the gospel message something that could mean something to each and every people group. He was good at understanding what had their hearts and what had their passions and speaking to that. See, because in our faith, sometimes what we do, the roar gets the best of us because we begin proclaiming a message that we think is the right message and it is a good message, but it doesn't really apply In the moment, I say this quite often, I want to answer the questions you're asking, not the ones that I think are in your head. Have you ever tried to finish somebody's sentences, like as they're talking, because maybe they talk slow? Um, uh, Cindy and I were doing this the other day, well, I was trying to do it for Cindy, and every time I'd finish her sentence, I was completely wrong, like not even close. And, and she was like, so I went, and I was like, yeah, you uh, You know, I finished it off, and she was like, no, that's not what it was. And then later on, you know, I was like, well, and, and then what happened? She was like, Jeff, just chill out, man. And the truth of it is, we find ourselves in these points where we're answering questions that people aren't asking. Pastor Jeff, I'm hurting. My life is a wreck. well, you should pray more. Really? Like, I, I had not run into a person that went like, oh, yeah, that, that explains everything. I'm so glad I came to talk to you. That's amazing. Now, I know you're, you're like, Jeff, you are not holy. No, that's the point. Like, sometimes we've just got to attend to the wounds and the needs of the people that are there. Sometimes we've got to hit people where they're at first. Sometimes people need to be listened to before they can be talked to. That's the bigger one. I got a call from one of our kids who went away. He's a big football player, Bradley Taylor. He's an awesome kid. He called me Friday night right before the football game. This was funny. For those of you who are playing football in high school right now, this was a funny moment. You'll like this. He called me right before I was walking out to the football game. And I said, hey, man, what's going on? I said, coach, I'm out here. He calls me pastor, coach, whatever, I'll take it. He says, I'm out here, and I, I got a few questions for you. What are you doing? I said, well, I'm walking in the football stadium. He said, I can't, I totally forgot it was football Friday. He was like, it's crazy. Last year, I thought everyone in the world knew I was playing football, and now I totally forgot it was Friday. He said, but I got a real problem for you. <laughs> I was like, okay, shift gears, right? He said, I've been talking to this homeless guy For like two hours. And I'm struggling because I I want to tell him about Jesus, but he doesn't really want to hear quite yet. I'm like, all right. And he began to pour out how he, he really has just felt compelled to minister to this guy, right? And I'm not saying Bradley's a saint or anything, like, don't try to make bracelets about him or anything. Like he's just he's a cool dude and he's just trying to do what he's supposed to. But at the end of the conversation, he's like, So here's what I did. I went back to my apartment. And I got a couple blankets and a couple of my pairs of socks. And I brought them to him. And then he told me that he sleeps in the doorway of the church every night, because that's like the safest place I can he can sleep. And he's like, and I want to tell him, I want to tell him what's changed my life. What do I do? I said, I think you gotta bring him more blankets and socks. I think you gotta listen a little bit more. You gotta hear what he's gotta say, and then when he's done talking then let him know where you're at and what's rescued you. We talked and we prayed, and it was no, like, we didn't have a big moment where, you know, he became Billy Graham on the spot or anything like that. But the thing that rung out in my head as we were having this conversation and wrapped it up is he said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess I just got to tell him where my confidence comes from, and maybe God will give him the same thing someday for his life. See, Paul's walking through this place and he sees these people are like super smart and they like philosophy and they like to talk about big things, but there's a big gap. So he speaks to the gap. And while that was the testimony of the gospel, he spoke to the gap and he said, here's here's a problem. I see you've got a hole. What can we do here? And my encouragement is this for us And a few things. One, let's make sure we're speaking to the needs, not the thoughts. Make sure that we're actually answering the questions that people around us are asking, not just trying to push our way into doors that nobody's asking us to go into. But maybe it starts on this side. Maybe if we're just a little more real. I'm not talking like ugly. But some of us, we fake it up really good. Like, I think about it. Like, in here, we we can kind of come in and put on good air. But we got a lot of stuff going on under the cover of our life. Maybe if there was an air of reality to what was really happening in us, maybe when people talk to us, if they could hear and know there is something different, maybe that's what changes things. Because at the end of the day, There's a whole bunch of people that heard what Paul said and laughed at him because they didn't want to go there. But then there was a few people who stayed back and said, no, your reality, the things you're talking about right here, right now, this totally makes sense. And all this plays together in my head in this way. Fifteen years ago, a community of people with open nerve endings and wounds and pains came together and said, we have to be a nation under God if we're going to survive. And a nation under God is a people that recognizes who's in control. And that by living openly and for real in one another, with one another, will be the only way that we make it together. We try to sanitize it for everyone around us. We try to make it okay. Like, you don't want to know all my stuff. You don't want to get connected. But the truth is, people in our community are saying, where's a place where people are real? And they have hope. And that's what we have to offer. How do we get above the roar? We stand for what's right. The gospel message. How do we get above the roar? Even bigger. We decide to be a community that's real. And when we hurt, we hurt. And when we cry, we cry. And when we celebrate, we celebrate well. But we don't miss any opportunity to make His name great in whatever state we find ourselves. Let's pray. God, we come before You, and I thank You for Your faithfulness. I thank You for the message that You've given us. And I thank You for the opportunity tonight that we had to share with the Visser family and believing in a new little life. Father, I praise You for Your faithfulness in all generations, and I want to ask in Your good name, would You make it very clear and very evident the call that You have on our lives? Would You help us to be people who can be real with one another and would you allow us the opportunity to live in reality together as a community in a way that makes your main name great so that this world could be changed? God, we want to live above the roar of society. And we want to live in the truth. And Just to close out our time, if you're not a regular attender here, The way we do this is just while everybody's heads are bowed and eyes closed. We pray our own prayer. You don't have to listen to my prayer anymore. But there's a couple things that I would ask. One is if you have not allowed God to be your God, if you have never called on the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then tonight needs to be the night. There's no question. You've heard the truth, and the truth can set you free. He sent His Son to die for us, and we can truly live for Him. So in this time of quiet prayer, if God has put it on your heart, would you receive Him? And here's what it would look like just praying this prayer. God, I want You to be my God. I need You, and I'm broken And I come with a whole lot of problems. But I receive the gift of your Son, the gift of freedom. And tonight I want you to be my God. And I want to be yours under the blood and covering of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's not your prayer tonight, but God's put something else on your heart. Go ahead and pray that prayer. Maybe you're sitting there and like, Jeff, I really didn't get a whole lot out of this. Then my prayer would be this. God, make me sensitive. Help me to see the places where I need to break down some walls and open up some places in my life to really let your life shine through me. God, give me wisdom and help me be a conduit of your love. So in your place, would you just pray just for a moment? And then we're going to close with worship tonight. So here's my thought and challenge for this week as you get ready to go. I, I hope you don't go out and just bleed all over everybody, okay? like Not everybody's ready to really know everything about you. So be cautious there. But the other side is, be asking God this week, is there a person, or is there a group of people that I meet with that that I need to let down some defenses around? Is there somebody that I have seen from afar that I know is struggling that I need to get real with and then figure out how I can serve them? I don't know what that looks like to you guys, and I don't know what that uh, consideration does to you. Some of us, it strikes like great chords of fear in us, but that's why He gave us the Holy Spirit to do the stuff that we can't do on our own. But I'm going to ask that God would empower us as a community to be different. We can look different, sound different, act different. Because He is in us. Because He is our God. And He is our strength. And He is our comfort and our hope. And He is the source. And He's going to be the source for Philip and Christine as they raise a beautiful little girl. And He's going to be the source for us as we hit our trials and struggles. And He is our source no matter what. And that is our message in whatever state we find ourselves. So what I'm going to ask is that as we conclude this with a blessing and benediction tonight, would you ask God to fill you to overflowing? Because everything I have means nothing but to be with you. My Lord. So, would you extend your hands and receive this blessing tonight? May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may his face shine on you this week. And may his presence fill your heart in such a way that the world could not help but notice. And would you be sensitive to listen with both ears and speak with one mouth? the message that He's given you. Would your heart be tender, your mercies be great, and your grace be surrendered to Him. In the good name of Jesus, would you go in peace and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.